Good morning and welcome to High Point Church Online. It's great to be here with you today. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. Always a pleasure to worship with you online, wherever you're streaming from. Welcome. Great to have you here today. We're starting a little standalone uh, message series that we're going to be sprinkling in, so to speak, a couple times throughout the year called This Is Why We Do It. Now, you might immediately have a little beat that's bumping in your head. This is how we do it. This is how we... If you recall that song, maybe you grew up in the you know, late 80s, early 90s, and you remember that jam, so to speak. Uh, that's not what we're doing today. Uh, we're not talking about the how. We're talking about the why. This is why we do it. And so here we are. Uh, jumping in to, to not just learning something, but the hope is, is that more than learning, that we would be transitioning and moving into living. The Bible, the Word, the Spirit of God, it doesn't just give you information. It transforms you, right? It's not just information, it's inspiration. And so we, the Word of God inspires us, literally moves inside of us, changes us, and transforms us. And that's what we are after. And one of the ways that the Word of God works and moves in our life is by us understanding why we're doing what we're doing. Are there things in your life that you just, you know, you, you don't even think about anymore? I bet there are. Things you don't think about but that you do. You just do it because that's just the way it's always been done. That's what we do in our house, right? It, I'm streaming from Georgia. And I don't know why this is a thing here in Georgia. Maybe it's a thing where you are as well. But people are fanatics about backing into their parking spaces here. And it is a, it is a fact. It is a statistical fact that it takes longer in the parking process to back in. And it creates lines of traffic and frustration. And yet people still do it. Why did they do this, right? Many times it's because it's just what they saw mom or dad doing, right? They just learned it along. Why do we do it? I don't know. It's just the way it's always been done, right? Maybe you season your chicken a certain way or season the, you know, the hamburger a certain way. It's just, it's just the way you do it, right? In my house growing up, my dad would take Italian dressing. He would marinate the chicken, but it was only one kind of Italian dressing that would be used, herbs and spices. Right, and I remember going to the store with him one time in like high school, you know, and I'm getting like some like you know just low market version Italian dressing. He's like, no, 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 no. There's only one, right? There can only be one, right? I don't know why, and so that's how I did my chicken for the longest time, and then I realized it doesn't actually matter because it all tastes exactly the same. But whatever. What are some things that you do? right? That you don't even think about doing. It's just the way it's been done. One other thing in our house, you know, many, many families, they, for Christmas or for Easter, you have stockings or maybe you have an Easter basket if you celebrate that way. And traditionally speaking, most people would do like an Easter basket on Easter morning. Well, in our house, that doesn't work. Do you know why? Because I'm the lead pastor of a church. And Easter Sunday is bananas crazy at our house, right? It's one of the busiest days of the year. So we do it the night prior to Easter. 
Now, my kids are going to be growing up and they're going to have jobs and they're going to have their own families. And by tradition, they may just be so ingrained with doing things like stockings before Christmas, the night before or the day before, that it's just the way it's always been done. And their kids may ask them at some point, why do you do this? And they may not actually know or they may not actually remember. It's just something started back here, back then, and it had meaning back there and back then. But over time, people forget, they don't remember, they don't know why, and it's lost its value. It's lost its significance. And when it comes to matters of faith and spirituality, there is a bit of maybe danger, maybe too strong of a word, but I'm going to go ahead and stick with it. There's a danger that can happen when your faith traditions become something that have no bearing any longer on your heart, mind, or action. And they just, their values diminished. I'll say it a little bit more cohesively here. The moment faith traditions become something that have no bearing on your heart, mind, and actions is the moment their value has diminished. Traditions do have value. I want you to hear this. Traditions are a good thing. Right? They, they're, they're designed to stir something inside of us, to remind us. But when the why of what we're doing gets lost and no longer, you know, is, is at work in our heart, our mind, or our actions, then tradition just becomes stale, emotional uh, drudgery, emotionless. And many times what, what is, what is, you know, drudgery for one generation becomes rejected by the next at some point, because it has no meaning. So today, what we are doing is we're, we're, we're going to talk about some things, right, that we do all the time in Christianity or in faith. And if you're new to faith, you're going to get an education, so to speak, today. But my hope is that this would not simply be a message of learning, but a message of living, because traditions and faith and and, and even rituals, right, that you have as it pertains to how you worship God. They're designed to stir your heart, mind, and your actions. And so today, the danger in this kind of sermon, in the fear of, of a pastor like myself, is that you know you're preaching to, about something that no one is going to bed thinking about. And that is true. No one is going to bed thinking and wondering about communion right now. You're, you're not. I mean, if you are, <laughs> I am proud of you. <laughs> but the reality is, those aren't the questions that the vast majority of people are asking. But what if, what if we're asking some of the wrong questions? And what if we could answer the why to some of these things, like, why do we do this? Why do we practice this way? Why do we worship this way? What if the answer to that had so much bearing on your heart and on your life that it actually provided answers for some of the other questions that you really are wrestling with? What if the answer to this actually was the answer to that? Welcome to This Is Why We Do It. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. 
We are actually speaking about communion today and the Passover. Buckle in, buckle up, let's rock and roll. On the first day, verse 17, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. So Jesus' disciples, they go, they get the room ready, they find the guy, you know, the conversation ensues, and they get the Passover meal ready, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, is a humongous deal. I'll explain a little bit more in just a moment. Verse 26, while they're eating this meal... Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it with you uh, anew in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. There's no worship band here, right? There's no, there's no chorus. There's no kids choir. There's no, you know, there's no sexy anything, right, that we call church stuff. All the, you know, there's no fog machines. There's no lights. There's, there's no nothing, okay? They've got a room set up with a, a meal called the Passover meal. And they eat this meal with Jesus, their king. They sing a hymn, and then they go outside. And by the way, that hymn, there they didn't have any instruments right here. They're singing it a cappella, right? Come on, somebody, right? This is what they're working with. This is called the Passover meal. And so Jesus, he's, he's instructed his disciples to go and they get it all set up. And you have to love the detail, by the way. And if you read from the other gospels, the amount of detail that we see Jesus giving here, this, is, this isn't really pertaining to Passover. This is its own sermon, if I could be honest. But it's worth noting. The amount of things that Jesus says in, in here, he's like, he says, hey, find, a, find that guy. He's going to be carrying a jug of water. Oh, when you see him, say this. And when he says this, talk to the owner of the house, and you're going to find this. And the owner, the amount of detail that Jesus knows and is managing and orchestrating should give you hope that the God of this Bible is a God of great detail. Big picture is at work but also the finite details of your life. Here we go. What we know as the Lord's Supper, or maybe you know as the Eucharist or communion, was originally understood and known and celebrated as the Passover meal, right? But what is the Passover? If you're going to understand what Jesus is doing in this moment, you have to understand what was happening preceding uh, this large, significant event. So the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years, right? They're oppressed by Pharaoh. Uh, this is God's people. 
and they're God's chosen people and, you know, chosen to bring salvation to the world and restoration of God's kingdom to the earth. How could these people be enslaved? How could we be experiencing this? We're God's special chosen instrument in this moment. You ever felt that way? We're like, man, I feel like I'm doing everything right, and yet how am I in this place and stuck in this spot? Well, you can relate then, can't you? The math didn't add up, and so they prayed for God to deliver them and to raise up a deliverer, and God sent them Moses. And the entire Israel-Jewish story revolves around this significant moment. It looks back to this moment, uh, and then and then Ed Jesus is going to redefine it and fulfill it in just a few moments And we, as we read in the text. God brings plagues upon Egypt uh, because Pharaoh will not let God's people go. If you're familiar with the prince of Egypt and the song, let my people go, right? This is the moment. But Pharaoh resists, and so God brings plagues to Egypt. And the final plague was God's judgment on the firstborn son. He's going to strike them down. But I want to be clear, it did not have to be this way. God made a way for those who would believe and for those who would obey. And what was the answer? The answer was a sacrificial lamb. God's judgment could be met and satisfied in this moment through the blood of a sacrificial lamb, also called the Passover lamb. And so God instructs every house in Israel and in Egypt, by the way, Egyptians could do this as well, to sacrifice this lamb and to put the blood on the doorposts and the door frames of their home. And God's judgment would pass over that home, that house, because his judgment would be satisfied by the sacrifice and blood spilled on behalf of the people in that home through the Passover lamb. Exodus 12, verse 13, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And so this is how the Passover lamb and the Passover meal Hence became what it became. The lamb is slaughtered. The blood is put on the doorframe. The, the, the lamb is then eaten. And there's all kinds of other little variables, might I add, around this meal that if you are a Jewish person, right, you might even know, and if you're watching that you would know, but that Jesus is going to fulfill in Matthew 26 and through the Gospels, through the Lord's Supper. Exodus 12, verse 24, this is what God says to Israel. He says, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. And when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe the ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does a ceremony mean to you? Tell them. It's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And the people bowed down and they worshiped. That's what Passover is about. And I cannot underscore the significance of this moment. This is, this is you know, what Americans would celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Like, it's probably our biggest holidays, right? 
the, the Jewish nation is descending upon Jerusalem to celebrate this meal, and they do it every single year. I have, I have a MacBook Pro, right? Kind of a techie. I like tech stuff. But I'll be honest with you. I've got a MacBook Pro, and that thing has got some horsepower, right? It's a beast. It's a machine. And yet, full transparency, I use this amazing machine to send emails, to write sermons and Word documents, to listen to music, watch some videos, and occasionally make a graphic. Okay, it is capable of so much more. I could literally film and edit a legit movie on my, my laptop. It could, it could handle it, right? And I was thinking about this this week because it, it many times our, our, our estimation or the use even, and that's a dangerous word here, but, but our understanding of faith and Jesus, it desperately needs an upgrade. In other words, like it is capable of so much more then we oftentimes allow our understanding of Jesus and faith to become. Like we settle for this little, this little experience of faith that's, you know, uh, it's, the, uh, it's the equivalent of sending email and checking your social media when this thing could make a film, right? A major motion picture, right? And, and so here we are, Jesus in, in the Passover and the, and the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26. And for most of us and many of us, we appreciate it for being, you know, the bread and the wine. We, we have this ordinance and this thing that we celebrate in church each week and we take communion and we don't understand the real significance of what this thing is and what this thing can do. There's so much more to the story of Jesus and what he's doing here at Passover than I give it credit for. So much more. I settled for this little kind of email, social media checking type experience, and it's capable of a major motion picture, right? Jesus is amazing, and God's story is absolutely amazing. Understand what's happening here. Jesus, even 33 years prior to this, he's born. And who is, what is the message of Jesus being born? Who's it announced to? It's announced to shepherds, right? And we know in the fields close by, that there are shepherds whose specific job it is, is to raise lambs for one purpose, and that is for Passover, for the sacrificial system that Israel would need, right? For their sins to be covered. And this is why they celebrated Passover every single year. It was a moment for a lamb to be slaughtered on their behalf, to commemorate and celebrate what God had done in Egypt and that what God was still doing in covering their sins and passing over their homes. And so Jesus, born, his, his birth announced to shepherds, here he is now 33 years later, he's stepping into Jerusalem. It's Passover time. It's time for the Passover meal. And what would be happening in this moment? Well, the priests would be inspecting the lambs to make sure that there wasn't any, there weren't any weak sauce lambs being, being brought, or there weren't some sloppy offering being made to God. No, it's a, a lamb of high value, a lamb 
lamb uh, that's without blemish and without defect. And so these lambs would be inspected to make sure that they were a worthy sacrifice. Well, what is Jesus having to have happen to him at the exact same time that lambs are being inspected, Jesus, after taking the Passover meal with his disciples, he is arrested and he is grilled and he is questioned by the authorities, right? By the, by the chief priests. They are examining him, are they not? They are inspecting him. And then he stands before Pilate. And what does Pilate say of him? He says, I find no fault in him. This person has no defect. There's no blemish here. In other words, surprise. If you're not seeing where I'm going here, Jesus is stepping in as the lamb. What's interesting when you read the Gospels, the most significant piece of the Passover meal is the lamb itself. And Jesus is telling them in this moment, go prepare the meal. Go, go get the whole room set up. Get everything, get everything ready for us. And they go and they do. And we get detail of what's happening in that room. And the bread is mentioned and the wine is mentioned. And, and Jesus, we have this whole recorded interaction. You know what's never mentioned one time? And it's the pinnacle of the Passover meal. The lamb. There's no mention of the lamb at this meal with the disciples. Do you know why? Because the lamb was sitting with them. Jesus is the Passover lamb. That's who he is. When Jesus stepped into his ministry, what did John the Baptist do? What did he say? He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the perfect lamb of God. He is the true Passover lamb who takes the sins of the world. He is without blemish. He is without defect. And he is the perfect sacrifice. His blood spilled for you that God's judgment would pass over you. This is the true Passover. And Jesus fulfills it, and then redefines it. And now we as a church, as the people of God, we get to take the bread, which Jesus says to take this, and remember my body broken for you. And we take the juice, the wine, and we drink it, and we remember Jesus' blood spilled for us. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes that you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. No, no, no. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So every time we take communion, oh man, in the same spirit of celebration that all of Israel descended upon Jerusalem with to remember and commemorate what God did over 1,500 years ago. Well, now we, as a redefined, restored, renewed community of people, 
we do the same thing with a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude. And we look back at what Jesus did as our true deliverance and our true deliverer. He redeemed us not just from a king of darkness or a pharaoh or an oppressor. He has redeemed you and me from the greatest oppression. And that oppression is the kingdom of darkness, the slavery, not to a people, but a slavery to sin. And Jesus has set us free. And when we take communion every week or every month or however you practice it, we do so with gratitude and thanksgiving in our heart and the joy of the Lord as our strength because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He is amazing. God's story is it is, it is stunning. It is remarkable. Look at how the pieces all fit together. And I am scratching the surface today, barely touching all the little pieces that have come together perfectly for Jesus to be the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. That's who he is. That's what he's done. And so communion isn't something for you to learn. It's something for you to live. We live this communion out. Communion literally means like to have relationship, right? To commune with God. And so when we take communion, it's a reminder. Yes, be filled with gratitude. Yes, be filled with thanksgiving. And yes, God, thank you for this restored relationship with you and now with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We celebrate this collectively together as the people of God. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take communion. I should have mentioned this maybe at the beginning of service to get your communion supplies ready. Ideally, communion is celebrated. I want to make this clear with other Christians. It is designed to be celebrated that way, but not. we can't always do it that way right? Maybe you're under the weather. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're traveling and you're watching online, or maybe you don't have a church yet. Well, in this moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. We'll be right back with our communion supplies as we uh, partake of the elements together. Welcome back. We have our communion ready. And in the same way that Jesus uh, he looked at his disciples and he, he, he told them, remember me when you do this. Remember me what? As the Passover lamb, the one who is sacrificed on your behalf. Take, my, take this bread and when you do so, you can do so now. Take this bread and remember my body that's broken for you, broken on the cross. Go ahead and take the bread. Jesus, we thank you for your body broken for us today. We take this in remembrance of you. There is no one like you, Lord. And then we have the juice, the wine, which represents Christ's perfect blood spilled for us, the Passover lamb. Washing away our sins, purifying us, giving us access to God Almighty. Go ahead and take the juice. Lord, we thank you for your precious blood spilled on our behalf. There is no one 
like you, Lord. You are the true king. Amen. And so today, as we just partook of communion, if we were with the saints and, you know, if you're with the church and a body of people, well, I would even encourage you, right? Share about something amazing that God is doing, right? Testify to His goodness and to His greatness. If you're, if you're watching and you're by yourself, you can comment in the chat, certainly. You can send a message to the church. But understand this. We celebrate a risen Lord. We celebrate first a king who came not in this moment as the Lion of Judah, but he came as a meek and mild lamb who died for the sins of the world. His sacrifice allowed God's judgment to pass over us and rest upon him, the firstborn son of God. He took on himself our sin, and we rejoice that he has done so for us out of his great love for you and me, his body broken and his blood spilled. And we rejoice for who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And now my life and your life is a living celebration of that. Don't be shy. Don't just let communion be something you learn. Let it be something that you live. This is why we do it. Father, we thank you in this moment for who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you for Jesus who died on our behalf to set us free. We love you and worship you. Amen. See you right here next week.